Um, it, you guys know we've been going through our sermon series, The Bible and Race, and the reason we've been doing this is because we want you all to be absolutely clear what the Bible has to say on this very important issue. Um, maybe the most important issue in my mind that the church is facing today. Um, we want you to be clear uh, that the Bible tells us that all people everywhere are made in the image of God. That they are inherently, they inherently have value and worth because of that fact. That nobody is more inherently more valuable than anybody else, you know, based on skin color. We've also been following the Bible's storyline and looking at, well, what does the Bible have to say particularly about black people? Um, because of the circumstances we're in in our country. And what we found is that the Bible speaks quite a bit about black people, more than I even realized uh, before doing this study. And it speaks of them extremely favorably. And so we want you guys to be armed with the truth so that when you go outside of these walls, you are, you are, you are rays of light uh, for the kingdom of Christ. And you're speaking truth with love you know, to, to the people that you are in contact with. This morning, uh, we have a very special guest, two very special guests. We have Kim and Lee McBride here with us, and I invited them to come and speak um, because we want to continue this conversation. And uh, I first met Lee probably about 15 years ago, playing basketball at the YMCA, playing noon ball. And uh, it was at noon. Uh, so, one of the things that I really appreciated about Lee, obviously he was, re he was a really good basketball player, so that always helps. But also, I was really attracted to the Jesus in Lee. And it was evident that the light of Christ dwelled in Lee. His smile, his sincerity when he talked to me, um, his joy that was evident every day I saw him, I felt this immediate bond and connection with Lee. And when all of this started happening um, again in our country, I reached out to Lee and I just wanted to sit and listen. I wanted to hear what, is it, what, what has it been like being a black person in Maslin, Ohio. And I think one of the things that we do not do well, and we've been talking about this, is we don't listen well. And so this morning, I want to continue to listen to people that have, you know, had to go through and deal with uh, what's happening in our country, social injustice, racism. And so I want to bring Lee to the stage. Let's give him a warm, abundant life welcome. Thank you again for doing this. I think it's so awesome that you're willing to come and talk to our people. I just got to meet your beautiful wife, and I told uh, Kim, his wife, walking over here, like, I'm so disappointed my wife and boys aren't here, because my wife would love Kim. And I had this feeling that Kim would love my wife, so we're just going to have to have him over for dinner. So he's going to have to go. So, so Lee, tell us about your family. Can you do that? Well, <clears throat> first of all, I want to say um, how glad I am and how uh, appreciative I am to be here. Um, 
Pastor Shane and I go way back, um, uh, along with uh, Kevin Hewitt. Um, two special guys. These these guys are are very special men, men to me. And um, you know, one thing about that I uh, had noticed about them over the years, uh, they were consistent guys. Uh, no matter what was going on on the court. They never went out of character. I never heard them say anything that was that was detrimental to their walk or anything like that. Um, and I knew I knew then these these were special guys right here. Hmm. So when Pastor Shane um, uh, called me up and asked me to meet with him uh, about a couple months ago, I think it was, mm -hmm. um, we had a very nice talk and. Um, over a subject that's pretty troubling to uh, a lot of people right now. And uh, I was very, um, uh, I was very um, uh, taken by the fact that, that uh, Pastor uh, Shane's interest in what was going on and how he was looking to get more information about it and more understanding. And so we met on a, early on a Saturday morning and we had a, a good hour worth of talking about this issue. Mm -hmm. um, again, my wife is here with me, Kim, and uh, we have um, <clears throat> we have uh, 16 uh, grandkids with uh, seven uh, children. Um, so we have a large family, and um, um, I come from a large family. Uh, my, my mom side of the family had about 13 brothers and sisters. My dad's side had about 11. Wow. So. Uh, big family is, is comes natural for me, mm -hmm. um, and I have uh, one great grand, which um, the the grandkids run from ages twenty four to maybe three months or something like that. So I have a, a very um, um, difference in ages all the way through. So uh, again, I. Um, I'm a Macedonian. I was born and raised here, and I've been a member of the Shiloh Baptist Church uh, on um, Third Street, um, Southeast, where my pastor is uh, Anthony Robinson Sr., great man of God, and uh, it really is a pleasure to work under him. Mm. Uh, God is doing some very special things in his life and in his leadership. It comes out to, to the point where uh, he's getting a lot done, and, and things are really, uh, really moving forward. I got to make sure that you get a chance to meet him too. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, again, um, you know, Pastor Shane met with me, and, and we talked on the issue of racism. Um, very uh, difficult problem right now that we're facing, and this thing is just not going to go away. It's just not going to go away, and it's going to take. Uh, all of us individually, uh, and it's going to take all of us collectively in order to um, eradicate this thing and, 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 and get this stuff out of the way to the point where, um, because see, God is not pleased with this. You know? He's not pleased with the division, and he's not, he's not pleased with, with our treatment one to another. And, you know, one of the things that I've always said um, especially lately, in this country, you know, we've been blessed with so much, and God has been so good to us all. But see, we can do better. Mm -hmm. 
we can do better, and but you have to want to do better. Right. And that's one of the things I told my wife the other day. I'm going to the mall, get me a t-shirt made that we can do better. Mm. Because that's going to be my, my, my MO here for yeah. a while, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, before we get into your experience with racism, because I, I often think that there are people that I run into and that believe that, yeah, racism exists, but it's out there, it's not really here in Maslin, right? It's out in the rest of the, maybe in the rest of the country. Before we get into the, your experience with racism, and I think it would be great for our people to hear Kim's experience too as a hospice nurse, um, that, especially that story um, that she, where she experienced racism. Um, tell us about your journey to Christ. Like, how did you get to that place where you, you trusted your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, I, I want to say, first of all, um, my family moved here from the South, South Carolina, years ago. And uh, I was the first one that was born uh, when they moved here to Ohio. Um, but my, my family in South Carolina was a family that was deeply rooted uh, in, in, in God. Well, they were God-centered people. And, and, and uh, Christianity and, and, and that walk was very, very important to them. And I, I picked this up as a small kid that there's something about this Jesus. There's something about God that, that's special that I better get to know. And so um, my mother brought us, um, introduced us uh, to Jesus. She introduced, introduced us to the church. And as a young kid, we were involved in a lot of activities and a lot of different things in and around the church. And uh, as time moved on, um, as I got older, um, I drifted and found myself out in the world uh, doing things that I had no business doing and getting involved in things that was against what, the things that, of God. Um, and then one day, uh, God had to, he got my attention. Um, a situ situation came up in, in, in a job that I had where I had worked, I had just got out of, the, out of the Air Force and I had worked at this company for about five years very dedicated, never missed a day, nothing, mm. you know. And so one day I get a phone call and they tell me, uh, I'm sorry, your job's been eliminated. Wow. It just basically destroyed my, everything that I tried to, had built up to that point where I, I lost my house, I lost my car, I lost everything that I had. And I got to the point where, um, I had really lost my will to live to a mm -hmm. to, to degree. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I never believed that I could be uh, treated, you know, that the situation would, would um, bring me to that level of, of uh, I, I, was, I was mad, I was angry that, that all of this took place sure. after everything I had did to try to, you know, make things right and, and to do the right thing. And so after that, I lost that job, I, I went into a hole. I, I just went into a hole and I, I couldn't see my way out. Mm. Um, and then one day, Jesus came to me as hope. And, he, and I found out he was my hope for tomorrow. And when I grabbed hold of that hope, because at that point, see, I was hopeless. Right. When I grabbed a hold of that hope, it changed everything. I mean, everything. 
And this was back in 1984. Wow. 1984. I remember the time. I remember the date. I remember the whole experience mm -hmm. where he stepped into my life and changed me totally from the inside out. And the very things that I was, was so despair about, all of a sudden, those things didn't matter anymore. Because I, 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 was, I knew the man now that could, that could take me above all that stuff. Right. And so when I latched on to him, uh, I mean, I, I, and, I, and I would recommend this to all of us, you know, you, you latch on and you hold tight to him because he, he can change you from the inside out and he can transform your life in a way that you would never, ever believe. Absolutely. Never, ever believe. And so as a result of that, I found myself being more involved uh, in the church. Um, I became a deacon. Uh, then I, I moved from there, God um, brought me into the preaching and teaching ministry. And uh, just serving, you know, was my main call. Serving wherever they needed me to serve, that's where I served at. And I'm still serving today. And I was telling Pastor Shane that my, my uh, pastor, we, uh, I had talked to him about this invitation I had got to come today. And he was very excited by the fact that uh, that Pastor Shane had invited me, and it gave us an opportunity to really start to look at this thing about race and about racism. Hmm. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Praise God for, for his pursuit of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Amen. So tell us, Lee, tell us, tell us about your experience with racism, being a black man in Maslin. Um, yeah, tell us what that, that's been like. You know, this is a, a very touchy subject, you know, and, and, and I would have to say uh, from the top that I struggle with this myself, hmm. uh, simply because of the fact that uh, it's one of those areas uh, that we deal with that has me scratching my head sometimes of why, you know, um, why do people hate and, and why do we, uh, why do we, not treat one another the way that God wants us to treat one another. Um, God created all of us, and we are all in his creation, and yet we don't look at each other that way based on the color of skin. Yeah. And inside each of us, um, you know, you can look at a person from the outside and judge them on, on their outwardly appearance. But God reads the heart. Mm -hmm. and, and we can't tell what's in a person's heart. Um, and we don't know what God is doing on the inside of that person, in his heart. And so for us to, um, to put value or, or, uh, on a person based on their outwardly appearance, um, that cannot be pleasing to God, and we're going to have to answer to that one day. Yeah, absolutely. But I would have to say that, uh, it's unfortunately, we have racism in, in the Maslin area, in Stark County area, and we would be fooling ourselves as, as if we thought that it didn't exist. Right. Because it does. And I guess the, the main thing is, Will you be a part of, of that um, 
uh, of that type of animosity toward someone of a different color? Will you participate in that? Or will you be uh, part of the solution rather than part of the problem? Right. So I have had uh, uh, numerous uh, situations, uh, experiences with racism here, right here in Maslin. I, um, I am the supervisor of a department for the city. Uh, I am the uh, city um, roads and highway director, for those of you who don't know. Uh, I'm the guy in charge of fixing your roads and, and filling your potholes and all of those things. So I'll, I'll fill questions after that. You said, I don't want any questions about potholes. You're not working today, right? I love it. But, you know, like I said, I, have, I experienced this, um, I, I've had a, quite a few experiences, and, and even being a black supervisor over a all-white workforce hmm. has been challenging, sure. to say the least. <clears throat> and it's something that I have to be prayed up on every morning when I, before, I, before I go to work. Matter of fact, when I'm headed down 21, headed in, I'm in deep conversation with, with, with the Lord. Because I know as soon as I hit that door, it's going to jump right on me. Mm -hmm. right? But I've learned over the years, because of my, my, my close relationship with the Lord, that that's not them. Mm -hmm. That is uh, that, that spirit that works in the darkness. Yeah. And they don't understand mm -hmm. that, that he uses them to attack God's, um, God's people. Absolutely. Tell them about the story that you told over there. I just, this is such a cool story to me. So the yeah. one guy, yeah. yeah. Um, I had a coworker, um, a white coworker, and uh, one day at work uh, we had um, some issues going on at work. Uh, and there was a little confrontation between him and I. And uh, he lost his cool and called me an effing N-word. Okay. And he did it in front of the supervisor and the union president. So obviously he was taken down to City Hall and had to... Um, we had to have a meeting with the mayor and the EEO officer and some of the other officials because of what he had said, which is totally, totally against the law, uh, as well as the policies of the city and, and, and all. And so um, I was asked the question, uh, Lee, uh, what do you think that we should do? Now, I knew that the severity of what he had said Thus, cause for termination. Right. But in in thinking while this question was posed to me, um, do I want to see him lose his job because of what he said to me? And that spirit of, of God that dwells within me said, "No, don't condemn the man, you know, because of what he said." So I told them not to. Don't fire him. Don't fire him. He should go to and maybe anger management or, or some of the things that help him get get himself you know back on track. I said, don't fire him because he's a single parent. 
and he's trying to raise a young girl at that time was probably six, seven years old. And in my heart, I could not see me determining uh, his fate and what he was going to be able to, to not do for his daughter in raising her. And so uh, he went to the anger management classes and he went through the steps to kind of get himself back in line again with, uh, uh, with the graces of the city. And time went on, and uh, even when I did run into him at work, we wasn't talking a whole lot or anything like that. We were still trying to allow the dust to settle from that, from that incident. And then one night, probably maybe a couple months later, my wife and I were sitting in, uh, in, 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 in the front room at home, and there came a knock on the door. And when I went to the door, here was this young man standing at my door. What did you think when you saw him standing there? <laughs> like I probably would have been like. I, I was. I was somewhat shocked. Yeah. I was somewhat shocked because I did not. I, I couldn't see the connection at that point. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the knock came to the door, and I opened the door up, and here he is standing outside the door, with tears streaming down his face. He had just lost his dad. His dad died of a heart attack. He didn't know what else to do. And so he came seeking me to help him. And we brought him in the house and prayed with him, talked with him, and tried to help him get through that situation. And, and as a result of that, you know, our friendship bonded back together again. And even to today, he stops in the office every so often. You know, he's retired now, but he stops in every so often just to see how things is going, and and all is forgiven. Mm -hmm. See, and I, I think one of the lessons that I learned out of this whole thing is that we have to forgive. We have to forgive one another, yeah. just as he has forgiven us. Yes. And that that was an important uh, an important lesson that I learned out of that. Yeah. So awesome. Hey. Kim. Can you come up this, to the stage? I would like you to share your story. Let's give her a warm up. Yeah. Like, oh. So Kim is an RN. She is a hospice nurse. Hospice. I'm so thankful for that ministry. As I, um, you know, uh, walk with people at the end in our congregation, um, I'm often uh, I get to meet the hospice nurses, and I always tell them I'm so thankful for you. Um, yeah, so we're, we're grateful for your ministry, um, but can you tell of just a, this is just a recent situation where you went into a home and experienced racism um, as, a, as a nurse, as a hospital. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Blessings, blessings. Thank you so much. I uh, just met uh, Pastor uh, today, but I've heard my husband speak of him um, several times and hmm. so when he said he had to come and then he wanted me to come with him i was going to come for support anyway wasn't really expecting to talk but right. uh, <laughs> last service lisa hey i want you to come oh up my gosh. but um i am a uh, a nurse uh, by trade and per, by profession right now i teach nursing at star state college and i, I love both entities uh, because of uh, my interaction with people and just 
just so much of it. Um, been an LPN, I mean, I've been a nurse for over 30 something years. I started my career as an LPN, um, actually in the United States Army, of okay. all places. Um, and uh, worked a lot of fields, and only a, I think probably two have really uh, stuck with me or really influenced or changed my life. Uh, working in a trauma ICU, there's only so many times you can see people uh, missing arms and legs from not wearing seatbelts that you don't put your own seatbelt on. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, uh, hospice. Um, and hospice because we all have to go that way. And so uh, hospice really ministered to my heart, um, just that, that feel, um, probably because I'm older um, and I don't want to move that fast, you know, run to, give, to get stuff and want to sit down and don't want to deal with mean doctors who throw charts and all of that kind of stuff like that. So, <laughs> so um, um, teaching and, and hospice are, are perfect and they don't feel like work. Uh, so I've uh, been doing hospice for about 10 years and uh, one particular uh, case that I had uh, when I was working full-time for hospice was a case manager and a case manager is an individual who manages the case of an individual that is dying. So initially when you get a terminal diagnosis they will say you have six months or less to live um, and then you make that choice. And so um, the admission nurse goes out the day before. She goes through the process of uh, admitting you to the, uh, the hospice, telling you about the philosophy, the protocol, and everything that's going to happen. The case manager then comes in and introduces herself and then um, assesses the patient to see where they are in the dying process. They also determine whether or not the medications that that person might be taking at that particular time are effective or not, or what things might need to be um, discontinued. They look at uh, whether or not that person might need other medical equipment. We look at whether or not um, uh, social services might be able, uh, might need to get involved as well, well as the chaplain. So when you come to hospice, there's a team. You have a LPN, you have a RN, you have a nurse aide, you have a chaplain, and you have a social worker. Mm -hmm. I love it because it's that interdisciplinary care that I didn't see so much in the hospital setting. So uh, this particular case, this gentleman was in his late 30s, early 40s. I'm thinking he was dying of cancer or something like that. And so uh, when you're a hospice nurse, you have a territory that you're responsible for. You may have up to 12 to 15 patients and you visit them at least twice a week uh, to manage their care so that they can be asymptomatic or manage your symptoms as they're going through the dying process. So I got uh, this one morning, I got my uh, report, this is your new patient, and so gathered up all of my equipment and went to this home um, in Canton. And so when I walked to the door, um, um, everything in there was a Confederate flag. So one part of me is like, they must have went to a Confederate flag store because <laughs> <laughs> you just, just, just And you said they're buying everything in there. Everything in there. I was like, wow, right? But um, as I tell my students, can you give culturally competent care? I can because I'm a child of God. And I can look past that. That wasn't my, my focus. I saw it. I didn't feel threatened. Um, because there was a hospital bed with a dying young man laying in it. Mm -hmm. So um, he was in and out of, of, of sleep, very weak, uh, very close to, uh, uh, to death, but still alert enough to, uh, to see my face. And so I explained to them what I wanted to do. My first um, um, 
line of business is I'm going to do an assessment. And so I explained to him I was going to be touching him, listening to his heart, his lungs, um, his abdomen, uh, checking, making sure the Foley catheter was patent, looking at his uh, extremities to see whether or not he was modeling, uh, which is sometimes uh, present when you start getting toward the end of uh, life. And after that, then I would go sit down uh, with his wife. Uh, my goal was to explain medications and things like that. So I did my assessment. Uh, and, and the whole family was, it was oh, quite a few people. people were, yeah. people. His friends uh, were there because he's a younger guy, younger people and stuff like that. And I usually have to do that in the audience. So I'm, I'm pretty um, compassionate, open to answering questions because people do. You know, I'm taking care of your loved one. Mm. And so if you come to my house to take care of, one of somebody in my I'm going to be looking at you. Yeah. And I'm going to be asking questions. questions. <laughs> I want, what are you doing and why are you doing that? And so I'm, I'm, I have gotten good at what I do um, because of my heart and because um, I, I believe that God has placed me there. Mm. And so um, I, I did that and, and I determined uh, from my assessment um, that um, he didn't have long, and I would say hours to days, because I get that question asked a lot. How long do you think? So sometimes I might say uh, days to weeks or weeks to months, but this individual was um, hours to days. So after I did my assessment, I sat down with the wife, and we talked about the medications, the common medications that we use, morphine, Ativan, Haldol, um, other medications that some will dry up secretions when they get that horrible rattle that, that mm. towards the end of life and things like that. Explain when to use the morphine, how to keep track of it, um, how, when to use the Ativan, what, what, I, what I saw, what to look for, all of those kind of things like that. She shook her head yes, as though she understood, and everybody that listened uh, attentively. And so I you know, explained that I would be coming back, you know, my visits would be um, a couple of times a week, but because where he was, sometimes we do daily visits. A nurse comes every day, um, and if they're more stable, they come every, you know, every two days. But sometimes there's an LPN that comes in too. We let other people uh, in on the case in case I'm off, and they're they're aware of what's going on with that particular patient, so they don't have to go through and explain everything all over again, which is torturous. So um, I left at home. I always asked her any questions, any concerns, anything, and they said no. I don't even think I got to my next patient. Um, and then they call the office call Kim. We need to see you right away. I already knew. <laughs> I mean, their their uh, their decor Confederate flag already kind of alerted me to what the phone call might be. And they said, "We're so sorry, Kim. We're so sorry that we sent you there." And did it hurt my feelings? Yeah. I mean, who wants to? I mean, so, sometimes I just I, I just live just like everybody else, worrying about my kids and my job and. Uh, all these kind of things. I don't have time to focus on hate and things like that. I, I'm trying to live like everybody else, but I already knew that. So it does it hurt my feelings? Yes. Does it ruin my day? No. Because I was more concerned and saddened by the fact that within a few days or hours, this man was going to stand before the Most High God and have to give an account for possibly the hate in his heart. I don't think I was there by accident. I, my job is not to go in and start trying to change people, their beliefs or anything like that. My, my job is to go in and to provide the best culturally competent, compassionate care that I can. But, um, so I get back to the office and they apologize. Yeah, okay, I've had that before, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, who's gonna give me another patient? And, and then, so uh, the young lady, real beautiful, real nice young lady, 
uh, blue eyes, blonde hair, she was going to see him. And I said, you know what, you probably won't get to see him because he won't be here by Monday. And he was gone. Mm. And they didn't want you to come back. They said, family. they said, um, that's, what, that's what the phone call was. Mm. They don't want you to come back. So we're going to give this patient to um, someone else. So that's where my sadness was. Mm -hmm. That's where my sadness was. Like, wow. Yeah. You within a couple of days. I mean, I get nervous. I mean, when I'm going to meet somebody important, just you know, mm -hmm. I can't imagine you getting ready to meet the yeah. the Most High God. Right. And you. Yeah. How how scary. Yeah. How scary. And you can't say, well, all my friends, all my everybody in the room was like that. And, oh my gosh. Yep. What a frightening. Sure. What a frightening thing. Does that, is that going to deter me, even with all the things that are going on in the, in the world right now? Um, uh, is it going to stop me now? No. Uh -uh. Because one day I got I to walk that same path. All the patients in the 10 years that I've taken care of, black, white, and even um, um, Indian, just all the different kinds of people that I've had the opportunity to care for and cross those paths with. Um, I would, I would do it again, even in the midst of so much hate and so much mm -hmm. anger and so much. I, I, I'm going to continue to, uh, to do it uh, because we all have to pass that way. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. I, stay up here. Okay. Let's give it a run. So. <laughs> I want to hear, so we didn't get to this over at Demers, but I want to make sure we get to it uh, okay. here. Um, what, what is the way forward for the church when it comes to race, when it comes to reconciliation? I'm just curious if you had any thoughts on that. I know Martin Luther King Jr. said that Sunday is the most segregated time of the week. And he said that decades ago. And unfortunately, as you can look at this all-white audience, it yeah. continues yeah. to be one of the most segregated times of the week. Um, yeah, so any, any thoughts on a way, way forward for the church? I, I think that we go where we're comfortable. Usually we're family, the, the, the types of, of, of songs and, fam, you know, I, I've, been, I've only been a member of, uh, of Shiloh. Mm. Um, I, we, we, every time we travel anywhere we go, we go to a different church, but usually it's a, it's a, a predominantly black church, even though our son-in-law is, 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 is white and we have mm. mixed um, uh, grandchildren and things like that. We used to just go where we're comfortable, but I think the way that we could uh, bring um, races together is uh, fellowshipping more. Mm -hmm. uh, fellowshipping more, you know, getting to know, uh, do picnics and mm -hmm. just those those types of things, so that we can have those conversations and 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 see that um, regardless of what we look like on the outside, we're pretty uh, we're pretty the same. <laughs> I, I don't know about the, I'm looking at the women in here, and as I'm getting older. I need a bathroom when I gotta go right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I, okay. Those kind of things are, are, are women wise. It's not a black or a white thing. Right. Okay. I, there's there's um, the, the weight is coming on and I can't do anything about it. The Weight Watchers, uh, Jenny Gray, all the, the. I mean, really, those kind of um, the, the the things that we as as women, they're just there as moms. You're worrying about your kids, your your, your mm. grandkids, and you want them to be better. That's not that's not a black or white or Hispanic or that's that's everybody. Yeah. And so getting together and sharing and talking about that, you know, yeah. I, our our youngest son, I call him my failure to thrive guy, right? <laughs> 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 yes, 
don't know if any of you ever had one of those kids and you're like, are you ever gonna, am I gonna have to ever, am I gonna take care of you forever? <laughs> right? <laughs> but he's getting it. And that's not a, that's not a, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and so just, um, I think, getting together and sharing, you know, uh, those stories to be like, wow. Yep. You know? That's yeah. I no, that's great. I, I appreciate that, Lee. What What are your thoughts on that? What's the way forward for the, for the church? I know that's a huge question, but it really is. It, it's, it's a loaded question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I believe um, really that um, we have to be praying people. Um, I read something that uh, Mother Teresa had um, had said that um, about how prayer changes things, mm-hmm. um, and then she went on to say that she she felt that way, but then she realized that prayer changes us, mm-hmm. and we change things. Mm-hmm. Um, but prayer is important. Um, I, I do believe that when we walk with Jesus daily, step by step, we naturally follow the commandments. Mm. To love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when, when we do that, when we keep that relationship with the Lord right and keep it tight, there's no room for racism. There's no room to, to devalue God's creation. So we have to make sure that we keep that relationship with the Lord every day. That has to be our focus. That has to be our primary goal is to keep that relationship tight and don't allow the world to get in between that relationship. I know in Romans, the 12th chapter, uh, um, verse 2, it talks about to be not conformed to this world and, and, and the ways of the world. Uh, you know, if, if the world wants to, to promote racism, we not to follow that. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, so that means that if we walk close to Jesus and keep our focus on him, instead of what the world wants to advertise and what they want to push, it will help us. It will help us to move beyond this thing about color and, and race and, and, and mistreatment and all of those things. But one of the things that I, I, I say all the time, it starts with you. Mm-hmm. It starts with you. It starts with you. And it starts with each of us, one at a time. And then collectively, as we begin to, to, to take, take, have the mind of Christ, and that as we work as one, we can overcome. We can be overcomers. And we can, we can push this racism thing and this racial issue we can push it aside. But we have to walk as Jesus walked. And, and it's not a quick fix, and we all know that. But in your heart, if you're going to walk as a child and, and a representative of the Most High God, 
we know that that this subject is displeasing to him because he created he created all of us and I don't have I can't frown on God's creation because you are a different color or whatever I, I can't frown on that because see when you frown on that you're frowning on God so we have to keep our focus don't follow after the world don't follow after the world but follow the ways of Christ and when you follow the ways of ways of Christ then then you'll love the way that, that that he meant for us to love the way that he loved but until we do that we're going to have we're going to struggle we're going to have to struggle and, and, and devaluing people and, and, and not treating people fairly and looking at people, you know, differently and so on and so forth. But again, is it pleasing to God? No, it's not. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for uh, your willingness to be here to give us your precious time to talk about this. Um, let's give them a round of applause. Can I do that? Yeah. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for, for Kim and Lee. And thank you so much for the relationship that uh, you have allowed me to form with Lee. And now I get to meet his wife. And Lord, thank you that uh, we are brothers and sisters in your family, God. And uh, I think it's so true that, you know, as, as John 15, 5 says, that we are the branches, you are the vine. Unless we're abiding in you, we're not going to bear spiritual fruit. We cannot give what we don't have. And Lord, I pray that we would be so connected to you, so nourished by your spirit, that the result, the byproduct, is that natural, naturally there's just love that overflows and spills out of us for all people everywhere. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless the McBride family, bless Lee and Kim as, as grandparents, as parents, as nurse, and as... Uh, a, a leader in our city, that your anointing would be upon them in powerful ways, that you would use them as, as your agents uh, for change and, and reconciliation where there's brokenness. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would give them wisdom as they raise uh, these grandchildren and come alongside of their children, that they would know when to speak up, when to keep silent, um, and give them wisdom in that. Thank you so much that we could do this today. And Lord, we can be overcomers because you have overcome the world. And we take joy in that fact. Help us to live in light of your kingdom values. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much.